that the most five important or the five most important words ever written or read are found in John chapter 1 and verse 14 and the word became flesh. We know from looking at verses 1 through 13 in the Gospel of John, the true identity of the Word is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. We know him as the Lord Jesus Christ. He took upon himself flesh, that is, human nature. He became what he was not in order that we could become what we could never be apart from him. The ultimate step of God's offensive to restore and heal this broken planet and the broken people who dwell upon it is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The incarnation reveals God's cosmic intent not merely to save souls but ultimately to remake this world, to restore this world ultimately to its beauty and glory. We know that man, when he sinned against God, was not the only thing that participated in the fall. Creation itself, we know, groans under the burden of the sons of men. And that God's intent wasn't just to save my soul or your soul, but to fix everything that's broken. The world is not the way it's supposed to be. I hope you're aware of that. It is not the way it's supposed to be. We run into it every day. We feel the tension and angst of living in a world that is not the way it's supposed to be. And the incarnation reveals the essential goodness of creation. God intends, ultimately, to turn this world into the new heaven and the new earth. And creation will be brought to its ultimate uh, fullness with God in the midst. God always has had a passion to dwell in the midst of his people. We see that in the Old Testament with the um, cloud that followed the children of Israel by day and the pillar of fire at night. We see it in the tabernacle in which God's Shekinah glory dwelt in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. We see it in the temple. In Jerusalem, where God's glory again dwelt in the temple, but it departed. Now God's glory has come again, and ultimately the goal of all creation and the goal of all redemption is for God to dwell among his people and us to know him and enjoy him and not fear him in the sense of punishment, but rather rejoice in him in every way. And so the incarnation, considered that way, is an amazing thing. Another way to say it is the Garden of Eden will become the new city, the ultimate new Jerusalem. And that just means that all of the potential God has placed within the created order will be brought to its fullness and expanded and we will enjoy every aspect of it fully when the curse is lifted upon the world. God so loved the world includes the creation too. Now, there are three reasons why this is the most important five words you will ever hear. First, there is the fact or the reality of the incarnation. Christmas is the celebration of the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, taking upon himself our humanity. The Lord Jesus Christ is 100% God and 100% man in an indissoluble union forever. He is the God-man. 
Imagine it. The creator has become the creature. He, the king upon the throne of the universe becomes a helpless baby born in a feeding trough in a cattle stall. He left the place of bliss and glory to come to this place of darkness, this gory place called earth, as it were under the usurpation of the powers of darkness. Incarnation means the enfleshment of the second person of the Trinity. It was a stupendous movement, bigger than the creation of the universe, by which God became man. Think about that for a moment. God became man. God who is infinite, transcendent, beyond our ability to grasp because we're finite, beyond our ability to understand because he's holy, we're sinful. That God. One in essence and being three in persons. The second person became a creature and lived with whatever limitations there were within that. He laid aside his glory that he knew before the world was and came to this world. He became a man. The very fact that the infinite one should have come down into finite creaturely conditions by which he was limited, at least to some degree, surely constitutes a condescension that is staggering. Paul said it this way, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. His coming to earth was not to establish and set up his kingdom upon a throne, but he came to die. He came to save. He came to redeem. Now, people may admire Jesus, and often do, because he's a good teacher, or they may uh, respect Jesus because he's a religious leader. And all of those things have their place. But ultimately, he came to save us from his sins. That's what the angel told his mother. You shall name your son Jesus because he will save you from your sins. We cannot save ourselves. That is the hardest thing you're ever going to have to get over. I'm still trying to get over it every day. We cannot save ourselves. We need someone from outside of us to come and do for us what we could not do ourselves. And Jesus fully accomplished that. More on that in a moment. Question 47 in the larger catechism of the Westminster Confession says a humiliation in itself without regard to the fallenness of the nature he took how did Christ humble himself in conception and birth? And the answer is Christ humbled himself in his conception and birth in that being from all eternity the Son of God in the bosom of the Father, he was pleased in the fullness of time to become the Son of Man made of a woman of low estate and to be born of her with various circumstances of more ordinary abasement. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He draws the analogy somewhere of man becoming a slug. You ever seen a slug? When I lived in Louisiana, we had slugs in our flower beds. And they're slimy and they're gross. And I caught my wife one day out with a can of beer pouring them on the slugs. And I said, have you got a drinking habit you hadn't been telling me about? But she would pour beer on the slugs, and apparently it dissolved. I don't know what it did. I don't know, but they, it got rid of them. But C.S. Lewis said, for the Son of God to become man would be something like you and I becoming a slug. 
Even worse than that. The condescension is staggering. It is amazing. He laid aside his glory and came to this earth. Uh, and the greatness of the gap, which the second person of the Trinity leaped beyond when he became a man. The word became flesh. The Greek word for become is genomai, and it denotes a person or a thing that changes its property and enters into new conditions. He became something he was not before, and that something is flesh. He participated in our creaturely existence, in its weakness and limitations. He is the only begotten. He is unique and the only one of his kind. He is sui generis. And yet, the incarnation is the truth that the second person of the Godhead left glory and became what was from eternity he had never been before, united to the human nature of Jesus. Think about that and worship him. Think about that and worship him. Why did he do it? What was the motive that drove him to do it? And there's only one motive that will even come close to describing what drove him to do it. One theologian I read said, The greatest gift that a father could ever give to his son is a bride. Okay, now, that was probably back in the day when arranged marriages happened. But the greatest gift God the Father could give his son was the church, the bride of Christ. And he sent him, it's, a, it's the most lovely story of all stories, the archetypical story of all stories, that he left the glory of heaven to come here and to redeem us. Are you guys hot? Because I'm burning up. Nobody's hot? Well, that's how it works when you're comfortable. I am on fire. <laughs> Trust it's the Holy Spirit. All right. Well, the second reason why these are the five most important words is their imagery. The word became flesh. That is, it is filled with Old Testament imagery. He tabernacled. He pitched his tent among men, and he revealed God's glory, God's covenant commitment to dwell in the midst of his people and bless us and protect us and provide for us is now fulfilled. The tabernacle of the Old Testament is a three-dimensional visual aid enabling us to see how holy God can dwell with sinful people. People could see the manifestation of that glory, the Shekinah, and his presence residing in the Holy of Holies. Only through sacrifice could God be approached. Now the Shekinah glory dwells fully in a person, and we beheld it, and we were witnesses to his glory. So says John in 1 John 1 through 3, the glory of God tabernacling among men. But the third reason why the incarnation is the five most important words you'll ever hear is the concept of glory. Doxa in Greek denotes the splendor of his majesty and the overwhelming weightiness of his presence, the divine radiance, the glory of the incarnate one in his goodness. Moses prayed uh, at the mountain that God would show him his glory and God caused his goodness to pass by. He is full of grace and truth. Uh, the Hebrew way of saying that is he is full of kesed and emeth, grace and truth. 
reliability, firmness, stability, trustworthiness. Jesus is full of grace, which is God's steadfast, loyal covenant, committed to love for his people. But I have to tell you this before I end, and I'm very close to ending. Jesus became one of us in order to save us. How did he do that? Well, the scriptures tell us that he submitted himself to the law of God, the covenant of works, by which if he obeyed it on our behalf as our representative, then we would be accepted and received into the kingdom. If he went to the cross and bore our sin and satisfied God's judgment against that sin, both of those things he did, both he experienced for us. He redeemed us from the curse of violating the law of God because we cannot keep it. He, he, re, he redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse himself for cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree and that's what Peter called the cross, a tree. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. He obeyed God's law on our behalf. He became flesh, human flesh, in order that he could save us. He became one of us, but he's more than one of us because he's God in the flesh, and everything he does has the quality and um, infinitude of deity about it. You cannot separate those two. And so in doing so, he revealed the glory of God in a new way. Uh, through the cross, through his death, even through his burial, showing that he was really dead. And even staying in the grave two days, descending into Hades, which is really, really the place of the dead or place of death. He did that for three days. On the third day, triumphantly rose again and began the phase of his exaltation. But his coming, Christmas, is the celebration of Jesus stooping. It is him bending down. It is him going low. It is him becoming a servant. It is him washing our feet. It is him pouring out his blood for our sin. It is him suffering everything he suffered in this life on our behalf. And he knows every struggle we have because he experienced those struggles himself. Jesus is not so transcendent and other that we can't connect with him. He has humanity and it's glorified humanity. And that is our future, which is why I love Christmas. Why I love Christmas? Because I love Christmas. Because it is a time for all of us to focus on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for the truth that the Word became flesh. We will never, for all of eternity, be able to wrap our minds around this awesome condescension of the Lord of glory. But we thank you that he's done that, and when he returns, he will be a king ruling upon a throne in a new heaven and a new earth. And those of us who have looked outside of ourselves and trusted in him will be here with him on this new earth, living life large beyond large and it's all because of your grace none of us deserve a single thing thank you lord for your love and your sacrifice and your condescension and we pray in christ's name amen